0: Hi and welcome to this latest episode from 1914-1918war.com. to In this episode we'll be continuing our reading of Five Months at ANZAC about the medical side of the Gallipoli campaign. Please take a moment to sign up to the Substack at 19141918.substack.com. Here you'll be able to sign up for the weekly newsletter of uh, news articles I've found and you get first access to some of the shorter articles I write and if you're a premium subscriber, you can enjoy some of the longer articles I write. Right, let's get on with the show. We'll be starting at Chapter 3, Egypt. Everything you hold for is in place. the sea, <laughs> Look, that me this bunch of Mercy <laughs> Chapter 3, Egypt All along the canal, we saw troops entrenched, chiefly Indians. This at a time was very novel. We little knew then how familiar trenches would become. At various points, about every four or five miles, a warship was passed. The troops on each ship stood to attention, and the bugler blew the general salute. Port side was reached in the afternoon, and here a great calamity overtook me. Paddy was lost. He was seen going ashore in the boat that took the mails. Though orders were out against anyone's leaving the ship, Colonel Monash offered me permission to go and look for him. With Sergeant Nixon and Walkley, I started off and tramped through all sorts of slums and places without any success. Finally, we returned to the waterfront, where one of the natives, a little more intelligent than the others, took me to the custom house close by. One of the officials could speak a little English, and in response to my inquiry he turned up a large book. Then I saw, among a lot of Egyptian writing, Paddy 4 AMC, Mormon. This corresponded to his identity disc, which was around his neck. He was out at the abattoirs, where after a three-mile drive we obtained him. His return to the ship was hailed by the men with vociferous cheers. On arrival at Alexandria, we made arrangements for the disembarkation of all our sick, Lieutenant Colonel Beach superintending their transport. We left soon after by rail for Hailwan, arriving after nightfall. A guide was detailed to conduct us to the camp, and we set out to march a couple of miles across the desert. It was quite cold so that the march was rather good, but loaded as we were in full marching order and soft after a long sea voyage, it was a stiff tramp. In the pitch dark as silent as the grave we stumbled along and finally arrived at the camp outside Heliopolis, a place known as the Aerodrome. Lieutenant Colonel Sutherland and Major Helsham, were camped with their ambulance close by and with most kindly forethought had pitched our tents for us. We just lay down in our greatcoats and slept until morning. Our brigade was camped just across the road and formed part of the New Zealand and Australian Division under General Sir Alexander Godley. Training soon began, and everyone seemed full of the idea of making himself fit. Our peace camps and continuous training at home looked very puny and small in comparison with the work which now occupied our time. At manoeuvres... The number of troops might be anything up to 30,000. To march in the rear of such a column meant that each of the ambulances soon swallowed its peck of dirt. But with it all, we were healthy and vigorous. As an ambulance, we practised all sorts of movements. Under supposition that we might have to retreat suddenly, the whole camp would be struck, packed on the wagon and taken down the Suez Road, where it was pitched again, ready to receive patients. Then tents would be struck and a return made to camp. Or we would make a start after nightfall and practice the movements without lights, the transport handling the horses in the dark. Or the different sections would march out independently and concentrate on a point agreed upon. It was great practice, but in the end not necessary, for we went not to France, as we expected, but to Gallipoli, where we had no horses. However, it taught the men to believe in themselves. That period of training was great, everyone benefited, and by the beginning of April we felt fit for anything. We were exceedingly well looked after in the way of a standing camp. Sand, of course, was everywhere, but when watered it became quite hard, and the quadrangle made a fine drill ground. Each unit had a mess house in which the men had their meals. There was an abundant supply of water obtained from the Nile, so that shower baths were plentiful. Canteens were established and the men were able to supplement their rations. The YMCA erected buildings for the men's entertainment, which served an excellent purpose in keeping the troops in camp. Cinematographs showed pictures and all round the camp dealers established shops, so that there was very little inducement for the men to leave at night. A good deal of our time was occupied in weeding out undesirables from the brigade, Thank goodness I had not to send a man from the ambulance back for this reason. Apart from the instructive side of our stay in Egypt, the sojourn was most educational. We were camped just on the edge of the land of Goshen, the place where Joseph obtained his wife was only about a mile away from my tent, and the well where the Virgin Mother rested with our Saviour was in close proximity. The same water wheels are here as are mentioned in the Bible, and one can see the camels and asses brought to water, and the women going to and fro with pitchers on their heads. Then in the museum in Cairo, one could see the mummy of the pharaoh of Joseph's time. All this made the Bible quite the most interesting book to read. The troops having undergone pretty strenuous training, we were inspected by Sir Alan Hamilton, who was to command us in the forthcoming campaign. Then, early in April the commanding officers of units were assembled in headquarters and the different ships allotted. Finally, on the evening of the 11th of April, our camp was struck and we bade goodbye to Heliolopolis. The wagons were packed and the ambulance moved off, marching to the railway station in Cairo. 9.30 was the time that was fixed for our entraining and we were there on the minute. It was as well that such was the case, for General Williams stood at the gate to watch proceedings. The wagons with four horses, drivers mounted of course, were taken at a trot up an incline, through a narrow gateway onto the platform. The horses were then taken out into the rear and the wagons placed on the trucks by Egyptian porters. We had 16 vehicles, 69 horses, 10 officers and 245 men. The whole were entrained in 35 minutes. The general was very pleased with the performance and asked me to convey his approbation to the men. Certainly, they did well. OK, that brings us to the end of this episode. I uh, hope you've enjoyed that uh, bit of background colour of Egypt in the First World War. Uh, apologies if you can hear uh, one of my neighbours uh, testing out his vintage sports car. Uh, deep-throated roars rumbling up and down. Uh, not sure it's being picked up on the microphone, but... Uh, Apologies if it is. As always, try out the Substack, links in the uh, show notes, and I'll look forward to uh, having your company at the next episode. Thanks a lot. Bye.